0: has gone forward with Stewart to the right Lineker and Howes to the left Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is you know Oh I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff Oh I bet even he can't believe it Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Right, Jeff, exciting weekend of football gone by, but first your trivia question. This one is all about Sam
1: Allardyce, who is obviously setting the world alight, keeping West Brom up. Ahem. There are five clubs that Sam Allardyce has both... Played for and managed. Preston, Bolton, Sunderland and two others. Who are the other two? And there's a clue. One of them is
0: a current Premier League team. Wow. Yeah, he's an interesting figure, is Sam Allardyce. We'll find out the answer to that at the end of the show, but let's get started. Quite an exciting and interesting and controversial weekend of football. Let's start with the good news. Aston Villa won, Arsenal nil. And then with Leeds winning last night, going above Arsenal, that puts Arsenal in 11th place in the league. I've heard journalists saying the plan at Arsenal was never to finish in the top four this season it was just to rebuild blah 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 but they're in 11th and we are going to talk about the so-called crisis at Tottenham but 11th Jeff and I
1: think flattered by 11th to be quite honest <laughs> no no, seriously I, th- I think 13th is about w- where they should be uh, what what puzzles me and, and has puzzled me since the since his appointment is how how journalists have come up they all have the same narrative that somehow the groundsman is some sort of genius yet he has never managed any team at any level Uh, so on what basis do you claim that he is a great manager and they talk about his how he's changed the structure and and how they play etc without ever saying how it manifests they talk about it happening but they never say what it is and i can't see it the the wanderers great Best results this season have you know that the, when they went on that good run, it was against teams below them, teams at the bottom of the table. Every time they face someone good, they struggle, and I, I just cannot understand the narrative in the press and, and why they're not saying he should be fired. he's clearly not up to it. I mean clearly and obviously, he is not good enough.
0: Yeah, I know we have this conversation every week, and so we should, because it beggars belief. I know you really dislike Mourinho and you think he's yesterday's man, but at least he has a little bit of history behind him, and he does have the, the wherewithal and the professionalism and, yeah, the the, the CV. And there's Arteta, appointed to, I hate to say it as a Tottenham fan, but one of the top six big jobs in the league, in the Premier League, or was anyway. And there, and there he is, having just worked at Man City as, I don't know assistant manager or maybe an assistant to the assistant. We make the joke about him being a groundsman because he just put out the cones and watered the pitch. But it's too much of a step up. Too much of a step up for a big job like that. I don't understand maybe if it was Brighton or Sheffield United or you know, one of those teams that maybe can't afford a top manager or want to give one of their ex-players a go. He wasn't even a legend at Arsenal. He wasn't one of their biggest players of all time. So I'd, I've never understood it. We've never understood it on this show. But they lost 1-0 to Aston Villa And people are still not talking about him getting the sack. And yet there we are. People are even mentioning how long will Liverpool fans tolerate this run from Klopp. I don't get it. I don't I really don't get it. And long it continue though. To me the the sad thing this week about all that
1: is that it's somehow it's it's about the Wanderers when it actually should be about Aston Villa who had another really good game. Um if only Villa could string together three or four really good games. But it's too much of oh they play really well here then they don't and then they do and then they don't. But when they play well, they play really well. They're a very good team to watch and they're that they, you know their manager has done a fantastic job. All those players know what they're supposed to do they go out on the pitch, they do it, they have the creativity to unlock these defences which sit back and say okay what can you do and with Grealish and McGinn well they can do quite a lot and they thoroughly deserve their win, it wasn't against the run of play, there was no luck involved Um, the better team won.
0: Yes it's the curious case of Aston Villa for me because on this podcast and on the Saturday Sports Show, a radio show we do for 93.6 Global Radio here on the Costa del Sol, all last season we were talking about how poor Aston Villa were, how they're bound to go down they only survived on the last day of the season but we spent all our time talking about them when we talked about them we talked about how they were going to go down and how bad they were and yet suddenly this season you know, I mean, they've got games in hand on everybody else they could be fifth or sixth if they won those games in hand yes they're inconsistent but what's changed something's changed I'm not sure what what did change uh, um, they only survived
1: last season if you remember because of the goal that wasn't given against them you know had the ball had crossed the line and, and that wasn't wasn't given now had that had that been given, then Villa would have been down, and the story would all have been well. They were terrible, etc. Et and last season they were terrible. This season, they, all of a sudden they look a different. They, they look a different lot. You look at their body language when they go go on the pitch. It's positive. Everything they're trying to do on the pitch is positive. And you know, I think it's fantastic. You know, they've got the manager who stood on the, stood on the in the stands as a boy watching Villa. He loves the club, and he's obviously got this got a bunch of players together who also love the club, love playing for each other, love. Playing for him, and it's it's ab- it's absolutely ideal. It's a it's the model that every club should have. First of all, of course, they beat Liverpool 7-2. And let's remember that Van Dyke was playing in that match.
0: Yes, because Van Dyke is one of the reasons, apparently, that Liverpool aren't doing so well. But he was still around then. They beat Liverpool 7-2, inflicting their first loss to Liverpool since I think the Bayo Tapestry was completed. I mean, it was a, you know it was a big deal, a seven. So they didn't just beat them; it was seven. And I've had some famous victories since. Grealish, ma- maybe Grealish has come on. I mean, we. Talked last season about he was the only good thing about Aston Villa, and he's definitely going to go to a bigger club. Well, now they are among the bigger clubs, kind of, and uh, probably his profile will go up with England as well. But uh, we can't explain it then. What's happened to Aston Villa?
1: No, and and when you say that, that we can't explain it, then you have to fall back on okay, we're not there in training. We don't see what happens. The only place you've got to go with this is it's got to be down to the manager. You know, they're playing in a more positive way. They're defending better. Everything looks good. Well, isn't that what the manager's there to do—to make all that? Happen. I think he's done a fantastic job, Smith. He's brilliant.
0: One oh, well, of the other games on Saturday we can touch on very quickly. Burnley won, Brighton won. That's now eight points out of twelve, I think, for Brighton they've had two wins two victories two draws or whatever they've come back they're going to survive aren't they oh yes they are they are the only
1: real problem Brighton have had for most of the season is every time they do well everyone else around them has done well but they have put daylight between them and the bottom three now the bottom three are going down let's, you know, let's be honest uh, Sheffield United are looking very good they've looked very good as a team on the pitch since Basham came back from injury and if you look at their points before that's that was all the problem with Basham not being there Basham plays and, and, and the results are mid-table results that's because they're Sheffield United they don't have a lot of money and although every team has a squad of 28 players it's what have you got after the, your first choice 11. You know, what's the quality on the bench to come on? And, you know, sadly for, for the Sheffield United's and the, and the Fulham's and Brighton's, well, there isn't a lot, is there? They just couldn't overcome that, that difference. Bash, Basham is the key with these three centre-backs and overlapping centre-backs, etc. The central guy is the key to it, and he just wasn't there. There, there. I would say there's still a chance Sheffield United could get out of it, but it's, they're the only one in the bottom three who I think stand any sort of chance.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. That is the, the bottom three is the bottom three, and maybe yeah, Sheffield have the most chance, if anything. But it's not going to happen, probably. But the difference is, yeah, you look at the Sheffield United bench, or the, even more abject, probably the West Brom bench after the starting eleven. Yeah, there's nothing. like lo- You look at the Man City bench, and and late in the game, you hear he's bringing on Ke- Jesus and whoever else. You think, oh my God.
1: Yeah, but the, the problem for West Brom isn't the isn't the bench. It's that the eleven, their first choice eleven players wouldn't get on anyone else's bench. I mean, they're they're just not good enough enough players to survive in the Premier League. There was an argument at the start of the season which, which I, I happily bought into that defensively they were okay-ish but they couldn't score so they're going to struggle. Well they haven't scored and their defence has turned out to be bad and uh, since getting rid of Bilic results haven't improved. The results before were better than they are under Allardyce.
0: Yeah sorry days for West Brom probably about I mean they, they came up and they're going to go back down will they stick with Allardyce do you think if they go down I think he's he's obviously got a release clause I think he's got a million bonus if he keeps them up he's probably got a release clause in his contract that he can walk away from the job but if they do go down I, I think they might stick with him why not he could maybe bring them back up again
1: well that, that's a good shout and it's possible but they're going to have to buy better players and the problem at the moment is where you're going to get the money from to buy players you look at the last transfer window <laughs> it's the quietest transfer window I think there's ever been and look also so at Sheffield United they spent what 27 million on Ryan Brewster coming out of Liverpool to be the goal scorer that hasn't worked buying players doesn't always work but for West Brom they know that that 11 are not good enough there's quite a big rebuilding job to do there they will be at an advantage in the championship because they'll have the money, you know, Premier League money for the following season, so they'll be richer than everyone else. If Anadise stayed, I think then the following season the the top two who will get promoted will be Sheffield United and West Brom.
0: Yeah, good shout. Uh, let's move on to well, let's talk about your team, West Ham, who got I think for West Ham fans a, a happy draw away at Fulham, who who are much improved. Much improved lately, but again, still probably going to go down. But that wasn't really the talking point, was it? Referee Mike Dean gave a very late red card to Thomas Suchek for elbowing a Fulham player there was a lot of controversy around it first of all well I'll let you explain it you're the West Ham fan why it was wrong
1: well it was wrong because he didn't elbow the player in the face <laughs> <laughs> it is as simple as that and if you look at look at the incident in in real time on TV it's nothing and everyone knows it's nothing and Dean knew it was nothing which is why he didn't penalise Suček at the time obviously he was under a lot of pressure from VAR so he was forced to go and look at it and now when you look at something in slow motion it, it always looks worse because your brain is still working in real time and you're watching something in slow motion and in your brain you're thinking well you know all the time that's elapsed he didn't have to do that he could have stopped that and it always looks worse Dean's original decision which was there wasn't a foul was correct and it's not just me saying that not just you know Lineker and Shearer and everyone else saying that the Fulham player involved who was supposedly elbowed in the face went to Mike Dean and said no it wasn't a foul surely that is more important than, than the pressure he's been put under by the referees association with, with VAR wanting him to send him send the player off for something that he didn't actually do and this is the issue the referee on the pitch is being overruled this person Mike Riley's mates in the referee company and I'll stress that it's a profit making company that run the referees it's not not part of the Premier League it's not part of the FA or anything and they wanted the West Ham player sent off and they got him sent off even though the full Player said, "No, it was not a foul."
0: The other interesting and probably controversial point is that it was Mike Dean on the pitch and Lee Mason in VAR, the same pair who had refereed the Southampton game when two players got sent off and the red card was then overturned. That was last week. That this was this week. They're working in tandem. We know uh, our friend Kirk Blow is also a West Ham fan and writer. Believes there is some sort of so, some sort of conspiracy theory that he has that they are all working in tandem. The referees are all mates uh, with Mike Riley. They are specifically, you know, working together. Dean and Mason do seem to be being, well, touted out by PGML or whatever it's called, the Referees Limited Company, as a double act. It doesn't seem to me to be right. There seems to be some sort of intrigue there and it does seem like a bit of a closed shop and to have those two going out twice together in the space of a week and both and having two red cards overturned, surely something's wrong and it's got to be an investigation.
1: Something is definitely wrong and there will be no investigation. VAR is doing what Mike Riley wants VAR to do. Now, I um, I don't agree with Kirk that there is any sort of anti-West Ham conspiracy going on, but there is definitely I call it a conspiracy. <laughs> if you like except that it's a question of fact all these referees come from a very very small geographic area in the north all very close to Mike Riley and Mike Riley wants to wants to affect the results and he wants the, the results to be the ones that he wants, and he will. He's using VAR to come up with that. And you know that that decision the other day was just a, such a, an absolute disgrace. And don't take my word for it. Go and look at what Shearer and Lineker have said about it. It was a shocking, shocking decision. But there have been so many this season that that is not alone. And what we could do to to stop it is get rid of this um, limited company that runs runs referees. Get rid of Riley and have it as part of the FA or the Premier League and you make it make it open about which referees referee which matches so you can see who is who is refereed I don't know if you remember back in the, the the first season City won the Premier League. Manchester United had a phenomenal number of penalties and no penalties awarded against them at all. City didn't get any penalties and conceded lots and lots There was one time when Ashley Young went into the penalty area against Queen's Park Rangers the back of his shirt was brushed. He felt it. Not only did Manchester United get a penalty but the Cuba player was sent off and that was happening the whole season it was very very clear you cannot imagine a team go through the Premier League season and only lose four points which would have happened if those five referees had refereed every Manchester United match there is no question at all none at all that results are being manipulated by Mike Riley and the PGML
0: yes I mean you said since VAR came in VAR is technology it's not sentient and therefore it doesn't have an emotional response or a bias it's the way it's being used by the human being The actual concept behind it is sound watch the watch replay, watch it from different angles, but then if you've got somebody whispering in Mike Dean's ear, give him a red card give him a red card, send him off, let's let's get this job done, it's a different thing the upside is that the red card has been overturned and Thomas Lucek will be available to play in a very important game this week the downside, which should never happen, no matter what you think of referees or Mike Dean in particular is that he has received some very very disturbing death threats, very very bad, very nasty he's had to report them to the police, much much as we love football, and much as it is a multi-billion-pound and dollar industry, uh, there's never any reason or, or cause for that.
1: No, of course it's not. And uh, people are taking it much, much, meh, much too much too serious. And if if it becomes so so much a part of your life that you feel like doing that, then then you really need help. You no, know, th- I mean it, it, it's an old saying about football that of of all the unimportant things in life, it's the most important one. <laughs> but that's how you've got to look at it you know it was a game of football this week we lost okay fine you know let's have five minutes of feeling bad about it let's spend the the next five days trying to work out actually how we were brilliant and shouldn't have lost at all and we go into the next match full of confidence that's what being a football supporter is about you know there's nothing that happens that is worth making threats against somebody for the guy was under enormous pressure to come up with this uh, this result send him off and he gave into it as he did the previous week so he's been stood down for a few matches quite right he should be but it's the system at the back of it that's the problem now just just to talk about var for a second and these these replays exactly the same thing is happening in cricket and we've seen Ian Botham complaining about that there's usually a time in a match where there's a, there's a catch and you don't quite know whether the player got his fingers under the ball before it hit the ground or not and if you look at it in slow motion it always looks as if he didn't always, but you can't use your brain processing at normal speed to look at something in slow motion because you you keep, your brain is still, still there, as Ian Botham says, every one of these decisions done with slow motion is wrong you have to look at it at normal speed with your brain at normal speed and what you see is what happened and you see it with, with um, you know, supposedly terrible fouls where a player has slid in from two yards away. He looked at, it at, real, at real speed, you can see he's clearly going for the ball and y- your brain processes and says, yeah, okay, it's a foul, but it wasn't malicious, you, d- you don't give a red card for it. Now you slow that down, your brain's still going at the same speed. What happened in real life at half a second is now happening in three seconds. You know, well, he could have pulled out of that. You know, it's, it's a problem with slow motion particularly.
0: Yeah, I get, I get that, I agree with that, of course. That's, that's a physical fact, I suppose. However, very often you and I have been watching a game... And let's say, for example, I don't know, a Crystal Palace player takes out a Tottenham player, and I've gone to, oh dear God, that's terrible, he should be sent off for that. And then we've watched it again, on the replay, at, in slow motion, you go, oh no, he got the ball, he didn't even touch the player. So you don't find out so afterwards. So sometimes it does work, it does work in the favour of the correct decision. But generally, yes, yeah, slow motion, your brain is still trying to watch it at normal speed. So you think they have all the time in the world. But... That those replays can help. Yeah, and and you know, talking about
1: that example of Crystal Palace and Tottenham, and we're watching watching the match together, and you're saying, "Send him off, ref," and I'm and I'm saying, "Oh, get up, your fairy!" You know, that that's about being a football fan, isn't
0: it? Yes, it's all about interpretation, and it's all about bias, and it's all about value judgments, and all that kind of thing. But that shouldn't be in the case of the referee. Of course, he's got to be. uh, I was going to say objectionable. (laughs) He's got to be objective. However, you know, he is a human being. He did make a mistake. Whether he was under pressure. So purposely do that or not we're saying that yes but to receive death threats and so on is, is ridiculous he is a human being you know he is a referee it's, it's a horrible job in many ways we love to hate them that's part of being a football fan as well we wish Mike Dean well we hope you know th- th- that hasn't disturbed him too much but he has got to get better at his job that is very very clear
1: oh no doubt Um, he's, he's not a great referee he's never been a great referee but you know he's a mate of Riley and he lives quite close to him so yeah he's you know he's in
0: and you shouldn't have the two working in town All the time. It's got to be mixed up. You shouldn't have the same people working together because it becomes too familiar. Alright, one of the other big games uh, at the weekend was Manchester United 3 title contenders Manchester United 3 Everton beginning of the season title contenders 3-3-3 ridiculous game Man United were 2-0 up and cruising I thought they looked very very good then they lost Pogba who limped off injured that did seem to affect them strangely Fernandez got the I think it was the second or was it the third goal for Manchester United which was an absolutely stunning beautiful silky strike and at that stage you thought that's it Man United are walking all over them but Everton got back into the game and for me kind of proved that Man United aren't strong in every position and are not going to win the league.
1: Well, the, I mean, this this match highlighted the problems they've they've got in the centre of defence and with their goalkeeper and they, they've had those for two years now. It's it's nothing new. The the cross that Everton put in for their first goal was, was a nothing cross. It was a bad cross and you could see Ancelotti about to start shouting at the player because it was it a was terrible, terrible cross. And the only way that Everton could possibly score is if De Gea pushed the the ball in, in, you know, into the path of the Everton striker, and what happened? Daher pushed the ball into. He's been doing this. Are, is there any goalkeepers made as many mistakes that have led directly to goals as Daher in the last two and a half years? You know, he's he's a liability. And Maguire in central defence. Oh my God! I mean, you know, w- when he left Leicester for Manchester United, Manchester United's defence got worse and Leicester's got better. So Chuka, Leicester is light years ahead of him as a as a quality centre back. And as long as I think, as long as Manchester United persist with De Gea and Maguire they're not going to win the league it's quite clear give Solsha his due he's brought Shaw back to the player that they paid 20 odd million for when that was a lot of money and Shaw looks very very good and Shaw should be seriously considered for the England squad, I think. Now, for me to give any any praise to any Manchester United fan, if you know me, it's extremely reluctant, but he's been that good. He's been very, very good. Maguire and De Gea, oh my God. Surely, he has to bring in Henderson and stick with Henderson in goal now. He is a much, much better goalkeeper.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting one about Luke Shaw because he, when he first started with Man United, he looked very sharp. He looked very good, and everybody was going, "Wow, they found the man." And then he faded off, got injured, and everything else. But kind of lost his way, and he has been brought back into the fold, and he is looking good. And I know you dislike Man United, so for you to say that's pretty. Yeah, that is something. By the way, Jesse Lingard, we haven't we haven't met since. Uh, you said that you thought it was a terrible signing that evening that very evening he went on and scored two goals and played a full 90 minutes yeah and he looked very good doing
1: it but and this is the thing with Jesse Lingard there's always a but if you look at his history for Manchester United he always has a streak where he scores some goals but he's never ever scored more than one in four throughout the whole of his career and the reason he's not been a first choice player for Manchester United for the last four years is because of that he doesn't keep it up look at his performance against Fulham he was completely anonymous you know he it was just West Ham were playing with 10 men basically and this is the issue with him if he would do that every match and not necessarily score two goals but be that much of a nuisance to the defense create things keep the ball moving forwards all those things he did in that first game then then he's an excellent player. I I don't think he's an international player but he's he's uh, in the rung immediately below that you know he's he's not as good as a Deli Ali at his best but he's not far off it but the trouble with him is you've always got that but can he do that for a season and throughout his career he's never managed to do it for a season and just just to give Fulham a little bit of love here because you know we haven't really mentioned how well they played in that match against West Ham and if Fulham had a striker who could score they'd have won the match comfortably but as we've said at the very start of the season they haven't and they'll struggle to score and they'll go down which is a shame because right up to the penalty area
0: they're a good team Yeah I think the point being with Jesse Lingard. If he was consistent, like you said, you know, he isn't. If he was that consistent, he would never have gone on loan to West Ham, would he still be at Man United? So there's your answer. But yeah, so Man United not really looking like title contenders. Pogba actually has started playing some playing pretty well lately uh, another player we love to hate but over the last I suppose 10 games he has started to be quite pivotal and now they've lost him I'm not sure for how many games
1: yeah but just think about what, what's happened over those games and think back to Pogba's Pogba's reputation was basically made at Juventus where he was playing as the uh, the box-to-box midfielder along with Pirlo who was the general pinging the ball around and creating everything with Fernandes at Manchester United you've got that general you've got that creative thing which releases Bogba to do the box-to-box stuff, which he does extremely well. The one thing he can't do, or be, which is why the $95 million they paid for him was a farce, is that the number one man he's always the number two man to uh, uh, you know, a significantly better player which Fernandez is and Pirlo certainly was but yeah he's he's played quite well um, I think he's only had one game that you say yeah, he played really well but he's been positive in the other games which for most of his time at Manchester United over the last two years he's been a negative factor
0: Yeah so that's, that's Man United I mean maybe doing as well or better than their expectations they did look really good until they conceded that first and second goal uh, and kind of lost their rhythm one team that uh, one week you expect the manager to get sacked the next week you expect him to get a bonus is steve bruce at newcastle they beat southampton 3-2 newcastle finding three goals in one match and steve bruce has come out and criticized publicly two of his players the longstaff brothers saying they've got to get their acts together as their team place isn't guaranteed if you remember a season ago they were like the rising superstars uh, so steve bruce putting his foot down beating southampton 3-2 that's um what's that 12 goals Southampton have conceded in two games. Yeah, it's not good for Huddle, but
1: he'll he'll turn them around. He you know, he did it before and he'll do it again. He's a good manager. Um Steve Bruce, I'm not sure about criticizing players in in public. I think that sort of stuff is much better kept in-house and I think it would work much much better with those with the two young lads the longstaff boys had it been kept in-house. But you know, we we shall see. Newcastle is one of those teams where there is obviously an awful lot going on behind the scenes there. A lot, and I, th- I think Steve Bruce, who I never rated as a manager at all, I think he's doing the job with one hand tied behind his back. To be quite honest, and just keeping them up this season, I think is a, a very, very good result for them.
0: Yes, fair enough. I think Newcastle fans, you know, always claiming they're a big club, but I think you're probably right. It's one of those clubs where there's a lot of negative energy around the offices in that uh, in that club, and uh, probably very sort of places in constant turmoil. And of course, they've got Mike Ashley as the owner. And that's what you'd expect. Let's get to my team, Tottenham. Having lost three in a row for the first time in his career, Mourinho and the papers went wild with it. I mean, Tottenham lost to Liverpool, to be expected, I suppose. But the other one of the other of those games was against Brighton, so it's been a bit of a rough time for Tottenham. Slipped down in the pecking order, but we beat West Brom 2-0. West Brom are dreadful, as you said. I'm not even sure Hugo Lloris should have been paid for that game because he didn't really take much part in it. Although he did make he did make two saves, but apart from that, West Brom had nothing to show for it, and Tottenham they were positive they actually went forward why they can't play that like that when they're playing better opposition I don't know but they got their confidence back it was easy for them it was an easy routine win yeah and and Tottenham who are set up in
1: a a particular way to feed Kane and Son had both Kane and Son on the pitch so it was a regulation win it was a a 2-0 win that should have been at least a 2-0 win against a team that aren't very good (sighs) losing three matches in a row okay well that that kind of thing happens I think what's important important is that even with this win, Spurs have only won three times in 11 league matches since December. Now that is the issue. What Mourinho has been doing... When Kane hasn't been there, is shall we call it puzzling to say the least? Vinicius is not Kane, so don't set the team up exactly as it was before, but with Vinicius replacing Kane because it isn't going to work. He he doesn't make the same runs. He doesn't receive the ball with the back to the defender, taking the kicks in the back of his on the back of his legs, but still bringing players into play. He is not Kane. Now the issue that which I think can come back to Mourinho is if so much of your play revolves around Kane, and at Tottenham it all does, surely you have a a backup striker who plays in exactly the same way so when Kane is injured which he's always going to be every season he's out for three or four weeks with something then you've got someone you just plonk them in okay it's not as good but the the rest of the team can play in exactly the same way now they're trying to play in exactly the same way without him and it just isn't working that that is down to Mourinho but maybe it's down to Mourinho and Levy not releasing the money to buy the the players that that are needed now why doesn't Levy release the money you know firstly historically he he never does and secondly this season the money just isn't there and not just because of income being very low because of the coronavirus nonsense Tottenham have got a billion dollar stadium to finance you know so where's their money gonna go you know they borrowed 125 million from the Bank of England it's a serious financial issue so very difficult to buy players and certainly in, in a in a mid-season transfer window you don't go buying strikers because any team that will sell a striker in mid-season transfer window the striker obviously isn't very good but in the summer it should have happened they should have brought in a Kane mark Two, okay he's not as good but the rest of the team will play the same way and you hope that the same sort of things will happen or do what a, a Guardiola does and say okay we're not going to play with the centre forward at all we won't have a forward and you have these inside forwards which Tottenham have actually got a lot of you've got got some very talented inside forwards there and with their movement you know the the central defenders never know okay do i follow him do i pick him up do i stand off what do i do and you create sort of chaos in the opposition penalty area and if you look at more as um performances in the last couple of rounds of the Champions League when Spurs got to the final that's exactly what was happening he was he was just creating things by the defence never knew where he was going to be couldn't pick him up, Bergwijn is exactly the same, so rather than stick another centre forward in there who was isn't used to playing as a target man, why don't you stick some attacking inside forwards in there and confuse the defence?
0: Yeah when Moore and Lamella came on against Chelsea uh, in the last, what was it, 20 minutes suddenly it was a different game and Tottenham looked like they were happy to go forward and attack With the Vinicius thing, you know, top score in Portugal, big deal, all that kind of thing. But with the Vinicius thing, it is, he is a striker, Harry Kane is a striker, in the same way that a car and a bus are both vehicles. But they don't have the same function, they don't work in the same way, and they don't get at the same speeds, and they both travel in different lanes, if you see what I mean. It's like
1: saying Alan Shearer and Geert Muller are the same because they're both called strikers.
0: So, again, the second striker syndrome at Tottenham has been going on for a decade, I think, with various signings that haven't worked out. They've all tried their best. I remember Soldado really really trying very hard and just not getting there. The other thing about Kane and Son was Son has been, I mean Bale has been getting a lot of criticism for his appearances I don't, I don't buy into that, Uh, he certainly wasn't the worst player on the pitch in the last few games he's played in, that says a lot about the others Uh, Son was completely invisible against Chelsea I think it was, but as soon as Kane gets back on the pitch it all clicks again, now those are the same players that weren't passing it forward to Gareth Bale or Vinicius and now passing it forward, so it's not just about Tottenham are a one player team, but when he's there he makes the rest of them click and play like they should, he had a lot of shots off Target it took him a while to find his target, but he, I mean Son had a few shots, more shots than he had in the last three games. Suddenly it all clicked. But West Brom is isn't a test. It wasn't the test Tottenham needed after those three losses. Uh, so that the question still remains open, doesn't it? Oh, very much so.
1: I think one of one of the questions that keeps coming to my to my mind is: Is this going to be one of those seasons where <laughs> City run away with it and the rest of them do their best to not finish in the top four? Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's you know no nobody seems to be really putting a run together and saying. Yeah, we want that position. We want it. We're going to get it. They're all, you know, faffing about, and you know, for for various different reasons. But City are the only ones making a a convincing stab at saying, okay, this is who we are. We're going to win this, and they look very, very good doing it. Very, very good.
0: Yeah. Well, let's come to that then. Liverpool one, Man City four. Game I watched. Liverpool for the first ten minutes, it looked like quite an even contest, and then Liverpool to me just looked toothless. I think really, Uh, they look like out of sorts. They also look that. That expression you get when we gave them too much respect. I think you could say that about Tottenham against Chelsea. They looked a little bit in awe of Chelsea, which they shouldn't. They really shouldn't. But I think Liverpool were actually a little bit terrified of Man City.
1: Yeah, they're not going onto the pitch with the same level of, sort of positivity that they have in the past few years. It's traditional for a manager to blame injuries, which, to be fair to Kloppy hasn't, although he should. Because when you've lost your first three-choice center backs for most of the season it really does affect you then you take you take your two central midfield players and play them in defense it's made an absolutely huge difference and whilst most of the other teams that that press really hard have looked at the uh, l- looked at the, the number of matches and the the compression of matches and decided to tone back the pressing and and do a much softer press which is something you, you need time and the, the training field to do Liverpool haven't been able to do that because they've had to spend their time on a training field teaching central midfielders how to be central defenders it's not just okay we have lost these three in the centre of defence, you've actually lost two in the centre of midfield as well. And that really does affect the way you want to play. Klopp was very well aware of the need for that, which is why he went out and bought Tiago Thi- Alcantara in, in uh, the close season. Tiago was brought in specifically to slow the game down because nobody ran further than Liverpool over the last two and a half years and he knew with the compression of the matches this was going to be an issue so he brought in Thiago to slow the match down to play like a you know, like, like a quarterback if you like or basically do what Thiago's been doing for the last ten years but of course Thiago has only played with those two central midfield players once and that's been a huge problem the midfield's been screwed, the defence has been screwed and I think that there's one other thing which journalists haven't mentioned at all but which I've, I've seen over the last couple of years and I think I mentioned it to you last season during one match that front three of Liverpool Firmino Mane and Salah work as long as Salah scores a lot of goals because Salah is incredibly selfish and you can count on the fingers of well of, of one finger the, n- the, n- the number of times Salah will pass to Mane in a season now Firmino doesn't care Firmino is just just a typical Brazilian footballer he wants to play and he normally when, when Liverpool are playing well with uh, the tempo very high he he's the one feeding and creating chances but it is very obvious Salah will not pass to Mane Salah does not want Mane scoring more goals than him you know you can have a selfish striker like that now could get Müller at, at Bayern Munich that's in Germany a classic example as long as he's scoring goals this isn't a problem but when he isn't and salah isn't it is a huge problem and i think uh, you know i think Sala will be gone at the end of the season but i think that's a big big part of of liverpool's problem uh, i think it's huge and nobody seems to be commenting on it but, but next time you watch liverpool watch see how many times salah passes to mané mané makes great runs he, he's a superb little player I don't think he's world class but, but he, he's the genuine article he causes defenses problems because he's got fantastic movement and he creates space wants the ball you see him with his arms up wanting the ball nope, Salah will try and create the shot for himself Salah is the, very like Brian Clough once described it of, of Asa Hartford he'll lend the ball to you and, and that works, that's fine as long as he's scoring 40 goals a season but he isn't
0: Yes, that thing about Salah being selfish is something I've felt for a while. And we've seen when they're not doing well, it looks terrible. When they are you don't know. When they are doing well, you don't notice it. But he sometimes does, very often, makes the wrong decision for the team. But what he considers the right decision for him personally. And I, I do like that expression. Because uh, he does sort of occasionally lend the ball to the rest. He, it's his ball. It's his game. The other thing about Mo Salah is that if he feels the hot breath of an opponent on the back of his neck, he will go down. I hate levelling the word diver at people because Harry Kane gets accused of it all the time. And it is part of a striker's job is to feel that pressure and to win a free kick or penalty. That's another thing about Mo Salah's game.
1: Maybe it's a question of degree. Most forwards would rather go down at the first the first sign of something because if you don't, you're going to get kicked really hard and it's going to hurt and you might. It's kind of understandable in a way, but sometimes one particular player, takes it to an extreme and I think Salah has.
0: Yes, it is it is part of the striker's job and as you say you want to avoid getting hurt, but it it just seems more blatant with him. Before we get to our predictions there is one more game we need to talk about very briefly. Sheffield United 1 Chelsea 2. Tuchel's fourth game in charge, 10 points out of 12, three clean sheets out of four, that was the first goal I'd conceded. As a Tottenham fan I'm a little bit worried about Chelsea, they've come up and up and up, 12, 10 points out of 12 first of all, but I don't see particularly anything in Chelsea that makes them look outstanding. They eased past Tottenham, they just about eased past Tottenham, It was what? it was a penalty. I mean they were the dominant team they were miles better than Tottenham but they didn't look like scoring a second uh, and then they've just beaten Sheffield United 2-1 away Tottenham also beat them away everybody beats them more or less so again not a test but I didn't see anything in Chelsea that put the fear of God into me as it were but they are doing better under him well he was brought in
1: to put some structure behind those £200 million acquisitions to work out how to get them to play together and that's what Tuchel, Tuchel will do he will do that I think progressively You've seen better performances from those uh, the front five in Chelsea and and Werner in the in the last match, although he didn't score, actually played extremely well. And so it, he can Tuchel can increase Werner's confidence, which will lead to him scoring goals. So I think there's a lot of sign a lot of signs that he's improving the team. I, I don't see any reason to change my prediction of of the top four. The thing that I've got wrong is I, I thought Liverpool would win it again, but I think Manchester City will. So I think it's still going to be City, Liverpool. Chelsea and I still think Tottenham will get into it, but Leicester might might pip them uh, with Manchester United fifth. I really haven't seen anything that's making me change my mind about that.
0: To even think with Tottenham's run of, bad run of play and the disarray there, that they'll still pip Leicester and Man United to it.
1: As long as Mourinho, as long as we keep seeing the positive, Mourinho. The the problem comes in always in you know during year two and into year three with Mourinho that he's more interested in getting the big payoff and he, he starts becoming very negative. So. I think as long as we keep seeing the positive Mourinho yes I I think Tottenham can make top four and Kane has to stay uninjured for the rest of the season though he really does
0: all right let's have a little look to what's happening this weekend well top four battle Leicester against Liverpool
1: yeah I can see Leicester winning that 2-1
0: well that'll be that'll be a a hell of a slide for Liverpool questions will be asked uh then the game that everybody's talking about the glamour tie Crystal Palace against Burnley
1: well Burnley are are, are finding finding goals where where you wouldn't expect them to to find them Palace didn't look good against Leeds they were they played off the park last night pilot by a very very good Leeds team will Roy have them set up to be harder to beat Mm, and they're at home yeah you'd have to say he's got a draw written all over it but but none of the results are happening that way I think Palace will win 2-0 uh,
0: and then that test that I was asking for for Tottenham after a bad run of form Manchester City Tottenham nothing in it for Tottenham for me City are on an incredible run of form
1: yeah I think there's nothing down for you to be honest I, I, I think they, they can win by two clear goals
0: yeah we beat them earlier in the season at Tottenham but I think it's a different City now if they've got their mojo back if anybody's clamouring for Mourinho's head after losing to City that would be completely wrong they are going to win City that game uh, Brighton against Aston Villa for me two similar teams only Aston Villa do it better yeah and Aston Villa convert uh,
1: possession to goals much much better I think they'll win
0: they Sunday which is just looking at the dates so at Valentine's Day which is of no interest and no relevance uh, Southampton against Wolves Southampton
1: are going to bounce back it'll be Southampton 2-1
0: and then uh, what chance for Man United to get some points West Brom Man United yeah
1: 3-0 three 3-0 nil, three nil to Man United
0: and then well let's hope Leeds can continue their form but a tough test for Arsenal at home Arsenal against Leeds um, there'll be goals in that one
1: yeah there, there should be goals in that um, can Leeds start to become consistent I do hope so and I hope they win 2-1 and here's
0: one I think could be a draw Everton
1: against Fulham Yeah, you're right. Fulham are, as they showed against West Ham, are very, very good right up until the penalty area. And Everton will concede goals. Their defence has been well, it's a bit porous, I think is the word. Can both teams score two goals? Mm, let, let's say 2-2. all
0: right and then on Monday, next week, West Ham against Sheffield United.
1: Yeah, I think back to form for West Ham and they win 2-0. And
0: finally, Chelsea against Newcastle. Got a Chelsea win, that's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah, Chelsea have got to win that. And and I think they've got
1: to win it by something like three clear goals, just, just as a statement of intent to say, yeah, we're back and you're not very good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, those are the uh, predictions for the coming week. Time for your trivia question and its answer. The question was prompted by the by the fact that Allardyce's
1: performance as, as manager to rescue West Brom has actually been worse than Bilic's performance beforehand, so I don't think he'll be collecting his million-pound bonus. OK, the question is, there are five clubs that Sam Allardyce has both played for and managed three of them are preston bolton and sunderland who are the other two and i gave you the clue that one of them is a current premier league team and that team is west brom and the other one is limerick which was his first management job he took charge of the irish club in 1991 leading the club to the league of ireland first division title in 91 92 i thought about trying to come up with a limerick about Allardyce at Limerick uh, but I couldn't find anything to rhyme with limerick so uh, I, so I didn't
0: excellent that's all we've got time for we're going to be back next week I'm Chris Carl and I've been Jeff Saunders and that was Hitting the Bar the football podcast